Welcome to Ed's Edge, the podcast to help you live the life you've always wanted. I want to give you an edge, a financial edge. I'm Ed Meek. I'm a financial advisor with a passion to help you retire early, save more, and live better. It's often the little things, small behaviors, that can change our lives. That's the power of a financial edge. Twenty twenty has been quite the year. What we want to do today is help you a little bit when it comes to some year-end tax planning, year-end investment planning, retirement planning, all of the things that are going to affect taxes. And at the end of the day, if you recall, what we're trying to do is make sure you accumulate that retirement nest egg to have as much as possible. It's not always just about getting the best rate of return. It's about getting the most by saving money on taxes. And hopefully we can give you a few tidbits. Before we dive in, though, I heard James down the hallway a couple of weeks ago, wailing and crying. James, I heard something about Theo has given up on the Cubs, and I just couldn't understand how can a one-and-a-half-year-old give up on the Cubs, but then you made it clear. What, what really happened? Why were you crying? Yeah, it has been quite the year, and uh, to top it all off, Mr. Theo Epstein decided to step down from our beloved Chicago Cubs, and my wife will deny this to the day she dies, but part of the reason we named our child Theo was after uh, that, that lovely gentleman. So I knew, you, I knew there's obviously there's a little bit of an exaggeration in what I just said, but you did actually catch me off guard the first time you said Theo has given up on the Cubs. And I thought, how can your one-year-old communicate that to you? But, <laughs> but then I realized what it really was. So yeah, uh, I know well, it's a I'm big deal. every time it, I, you t- I talk about Theo, you think of my son first. That's great. I mean, I am quite the avid Cubs fan, but nothing in comparison to you. So this, this is quite a blow. It, it hits home. That said, the positive about it is he is the only person in my lifetime and many of your lifetimes to have given the World Series to Chicago. That's right. Yes, he will He will be in our uh, Hall of Fame, wh- whatever. If the Cubs do something like that, he definitely will be. All right. I feel better now. Well, let's dive in. You know, really, there's a few main areas we're going to cover today to try to give you some tidbits. And, and hopefully each of you out there listening might have one or two go, oh, yeah, I, I think I knew about that. Or, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. You know, maybe I can do that to save some money on taxes with some of these different things. But really, before we dive into those, the purpose of this primarily is to do tax bracket planning. And what I mean by that is we're all in different tax brackets. If you file singly, you 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 go into various tax brackets, and the way the tax code works is the more money you make, you then hit a new level, and then you get taxed more at the next level. And that happens both when you file singly as well as jointly. And there's a couple actually really key places when you have higher income where it jumps up a lot. James, why don't you share that with us? Yeah, yeah. So, so have you ever filed taxes the following year and said, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea I owed that much," or "Wow, I got all this money back." Well, either way, 
often a lot of you have surprises on taxes. By doing by talking about this, what we want to do is really help you predict your taxable income in a much better way and lower it as much as possible. So to the couple of key points, as you mentioned, Ed, if you are single, that there's two elements. That $40,000 AGI mark is a big one. Getting under that, if possible, is wonderful. And then the next big one is $163,000. Getting under that is a big one. If you're married or filing jointly, those levels are $80,000 and 326,000. Getting under those levels, uh, those are key points because that next tax is a lot more. Very helpful, James, thank you. If you don't file your own taxes, just make sure you coordinate with your accountant and your financial planner around these things to minimize it as much as possible. One area that actually adds to your adjusted gross income, obviously if you're still working, you're making money, you have certain things that you cannot control. You want to make as much money as you can if you're employed. Another area that adds to that is something called capital gains. These capital gains are called realized capital gains. And that can be either when you have sold an investment and accepted the capital gains because you sold it and made money, or you also have realized capital gains. Sometimes if you own mutual funds, they will kick out those gains because mutual funds have to kick out the gains for you. Ways to minimize these is to own certain investments that don't do that as much, as well as you can minimize them sometimes by uh, taking advantage of losses. James, why don't you share some things with us on that? Yeah, so I I've talked to a lot of people this year who have been in a great spot. They had cash sitting on the sidelines in, in March, April, May, June, et cetera, when the market was down. And they started trading their accounts and you know they were fortunate to make some money. Well, remember, when you are trading those accounts, every time you sell, that triggers a taxable event. So my recommendation in all those taxable accounts, look at the total capital gains reported on that. Because that number today will help you decide, should I harvest some losses? Do I have investments in my taxable accounts that are at losses that I can sell to reduce those capital gains? Because if it's short term, it adds to that AGI. We want to avoid that. So that's one point. The other point is if you uh, haven't sold much this year and you have losses uh, in certain areas, you can sell those. And when you sell those, what happens is you increase your carryover losses. And why is that important? Well, each year you can write off $3,000 from your AGI from those losses. So not only can you write off those $3,000, but the remaining, I know this is, is a lot to share right now, but the remaining gets moved to the following year. So Ed, explain to us why, you know, give us an example maybe to make that point. Yeah, so unfortunately, I have had some uh, clients come to me who have not had good experiences with investments. Uh, the two primary periods were during the tech bubble. Many people got very excited during the tech bubble. This was now almost 20 years ago, where they were buying all these technology companies in the late 90s, and they just collapsed. The whole technology industry dropped 70, 80, 90%, and some stocks went under, and people got literally tremendous amounts of losses. And then the second, the second time was right around 2008 with the credit crisis. Anytime you trade investments that are really aggressive and things blow up, you, you take huge losses. And so 
the the only silver lining to these is that they are carried forward, like you were saying, James. And you can you can take up to three thousand dollars off of your income each year, but then you get to keep it going forward. And so what we do when we work with clients who have those capital gains that they're either realizing through you know their own trading or us helping them or the mutual funds is we then can offset it. And so what we do is we we know what that figure is each year, and then we work with the client and we say, okay, we're going to take some more this year. And it really creates kind of this tax-free growth for a while. Now, obviously no one wants losses because at the end of the day, you're 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 not going to gain in, in that way. But we want to take advantage of them as much as possible. So even if it wasn't like investments per se, like you were trading mutual funds or ETFs or stocks, if you have any kind of real estate losses, or if you're out there and you're like, man, I took a bath in this one thing. I just never sold it. I got the stock sitting in there where I lost $10,000, or I have this piece of property and I'm way under. That may be a reason unto itself just to just to eventually sell that thing. If you're not going to hold on to it, you don't think it's going to go up, get rid of it, take the loss, and then use it to your benefit later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it's it's a good point. So, you know, if I have a fifty thousand dollar loss that I can report this year, what that allows me to do is next year I make some money, you know, I have forty thousand dollars in gains next year. I can sell those and not have to pay tax because I had the fifty thousand from the prior year. Yeah, yeah. Why why don't you uh share with us some retirement vehicle planning? Yeah. So everyone calls me the Roth Roth nerd, but you know I'm going to bring this up again. Actually, you just call yourself that. Nobody else calls you that. All right. Fair enough. If I am a Roth nerd, I'll admit that. But uh, I hate taxes, and Roths can help us with that. Uh, Roth conversions, right? We've talked about that in the past, and people ask me now, well, James, the market's up. You've always said convert when the market's down because you convert less. So why should we even look at it now when the market's up? Here's the reason, is you have a much better idea in your tax situation. If you look at your brackets, like we talked about earlier, and you can you have a better idea on how much you can convert to make sure you don't go on that next level. Remember, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. And the second thing is maxing out your retirement. So some of you may have had wonderful years. What you can do is take those last paycheck, maybe last two paychecks you're getting, take that bonus, that Christmas bonus, Throw that all your, your 401k. What does that allow you to do? Lowers your AGI. No, it's not money in your pocket today. I know we're immediate gratification people, but that's still money you're keeping, and that's lowering your AGI. It's a powerful thing. Yeah, and this is it, man. You, you really want to take advantage of this right at the end of the year, if possible. If you're going to do other retirement vehicle planning kind of contributions in IRAs, then you still have up to April of next year. But if it's 401ks, then you got to get it in this year. Yeah, 401ks, end of the year. That's an important one. The last kind of retirement vehicle planning piece I want to touch on is when it comes to gifting to charities. Anybody who's over 70 and a half now can give up to $100,000 to charities directly out of their pre-tax IRA. This is absolutely huge. A lot of people don't even fully realize this. And people who do give to charities, they most often write checks out of their checking account. It's easy, it's simple, but a lot of times they don't realize, wait a minute, you shouldn't do that. And the reason is because it's literally like a tax-free gift to the charity. You don't have to pay any taxes on it while it comes out. It goes directly to the charity and you can do it up to $100,000. So make sure you look at that. Talk to, again, your tax accountant or financial planner to help you coordinate that. 
Another piece that is just this year, there's been something called the CARES Act that was passed this year, and a variety of different tax benefits have been put into place because of the pandemic. And one of them is, if you're not 70 and a half yet, you're between 59 and a half and actually up to 72. And the reason is because there is a turnover in the requirement minimum distributions that people don't have to take them out until they're 72. But if you're in that age range, that like 13-year age range, what you're able to do just this year is pull money out of your IRA and then pay taxes on it. But you can turn around and put that and gift it to a charity. If you do that, it's 100% taxable all the way up to your full amount of income. And so basically, it's a wash. It completely washes out. It kind of works the same way as if you're over 70 and a half and you're giving up to $100,000. So I know we're throwing a lot of figures out, but if you are charitably inclined, you are over 59 and a half. It doesn't matter up to what age, you should strongly look at these things versus just writing checks to charities on your own. Yeah, I, you know, I, I get upset about certain things. Ed, this is a this is a big one. You get upset about that people don't take advantage of those those charitable uh, giving that they do. This year, if you are charitably inclined, there are a lot of opportunities. You know, the small one that that we wanted to take advantage of is the three hundred dollar cash contributions, regardless of where that's coming from. Cash contributions. Why don't only. you tell them? Why don't you tell them that really this was kind of. Partly charitable, but also partly selfish because you really wanted a free dinner. Free dinner. <laughs> free dinner. It, it, it kind of amounts to a free dinner, depending on if I want to go to a steakhouse or not. But you know, three hundred dollar cash contribution. What we decided to do is we we took that three hundred dollars and we wrote a check to No Kid Hungry. It helps uh, feed starving children, and by doing so, we can write that off for income. You're in a 22, say 24% tax bracket, somewhere in that range. It's about 70 bucks, let's say, back in your pocket next year. So money that you wouldn't have gotten under any other year, $70. Does that allow me a steak dinner? I don't know. My wife and I, maybe. Steak and shake, maybe. Stay, there you go. Well, that's like five steak and shakes. That's right, yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Definitely not a regular steakhouse, though. <laughs> not unless you're having water and no sides. <laughs> you split a steak. Yeah. So yeah, that's the first area. The second area when it comes to charitable giving, this is like a whole big area. If you're charitably inclined, you want to take advantage of putting money into charities and being able to deduct it. This has changed. A couple years ago with the new tax codes, we now have fortunately higher standard deductions. We have a standard deduction that if you file singly, that you can just have a standard deduction up to $12,400 this year. If you file jointly, you have a standard deduction of twenty four thousand eight hundred. So double that. And so if and you explain to us standard deduction. So how does that work? If I have an income of one hundred fifty thousand, what is that? And I'm, let's I'm married. Let's even say you have a you you you're married. You have a joint income of one hundred twenty four thousand eight hundred. Okay. After everything's said and done, you get the standard deduction of twenty four thousand eight hundred. You get that deduction. You only pay taxes on. $100,000. Got it. And remember, we were talking about the tax bracket planning and it, that your brackets go up based upon certain dollar levels. So that's what the standard deduction Don't is. Don't forget it's my kind $300, of, by the way, if I make that oh, $100,000. Yeah, so we're now at $99,000, what, $700? Yeah. That's what you'd pay tax. Okay. Yeah. I don't All want right. to see the 100000 in there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Rachel would be very upset if, if she Definitely. didn't know you were helping the children. <laughs> 
So that's those are the standard deductions. Now, the reason why this is super important to be considering is there's really four main things that contribute, three big ones, and then sometimes if you have medical expenses, but there's there's these three main ones that add up and combine, make your standard or your itemized deductions. The first one is gifting to charities, 501c3 charities, which means charities that you can deduct whenever you're contributing to, like a church or for certain other types of arts organizations. Colleges are big for people too. Yeah, colleges too, right? And so, so yeah, like your alma mater or whatever. I know you get your 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 mailing like I do from Loyola, right? They're always asking for money. Definitely, it's about normal. every other week. So, if you give a decent amount to charities from time to time, and what I mean by that is at least probably in the close to ten thousand dollars a year or more, you want to strategically make sure you give to your charities in in a, in a certain way. Because it gets added to your mortgage interest, it gets added to your real estate taxes, and if they don't all add up to that standard deduction, let's say you file jointly of twenty four thousand eight hundred, then you just take the twenty four thousand eight hundred. You take one or you take the other, and so I have a story I wanted to explain to you for somebody who is charitably inclined. I have a client who gives around twenty thousand dollars a year to charities. Most of it to his church, but some of it to other charities. And what I found out was he was still writing checks. Um, we immediately stopped that. We have him start gifting money that is appreciated security. And the reason why it's a much bigger deal to gift an appreciated security. So, for example, one of the investments we have for him is the S&P 500. It's gone up a lot over the years since we bought it for him. And he has a huge gain in there. So what we do is we gift 20,000 or or more in of that S&P 500 investment and we gift that into a charitable gift fund which is an account that's like a, a middleman account that allows you to put the money in there he avoided i think we probably put about $10,000 in there it went up to $20,000 he avoided all the capital gains on that $10,000 it was then sold put into cash and then he could invest it or he could give it away to charities right away or over a period of time. So what we did, this was at the end of last year, is we had him double gift into this. So it was $40,000 he was able to gift into this. And he used it to give to the charities last year in 2019. And then he's been giving the other $20,000 for the rest of this year. Why, Ed, are you telling us this? The reason was... He was able to use that $40,000 itemized deduction off of his taxes last year. And instead of putting $20,000 in again this year, we avoided it because we did it all last year. And then he, but he gave it to the charities this year. And now this year, he's going to use the $24,800 deduction. So last year, $40,000, this year, $24,000, a total of $64,000. And if he did it the other way he was going to do it, he would have only been able to deduct $24,000. Each year. Yeah. 64 is greater than 48. That's right. $16,000 over two years. So $8,000 extra deduction. You know, let's just say that it probably saved him at least 1500 probably closer to 2000 $1,500 to $2,000 in taxes. Literally, just by doing it appropriately can save you many thousands, if not thousands of dollars by just doing it appropriately. It's huge. Neat stuff, definitely. You know, and it, it, I just keep thinking for those of you, it, you're contributing to such good causes, 
right? And there's there's these ways to take advantage of, uh, you know, the the tax implications on what you're doing, right? The government wants to help you contribute to good causes. Let's let's work within those rules. Yeah, exactly. And and when it comes to gifting, I mean, when we work with people, we talk about there's really two main areas of gifting. The first is this gifting to charities. And the second is gifting to other people that we care about in some way, shape, or form. That's really kind of the last area we wanted to touch on was just gifting to individuals. Sometimes when people are blessed and they have enough money that they will no longer run out and they're not concerned about being able to take care of themselves, what we'll do is sometimes encourage them to consider, do you want to, instead of just leaving it all as a legacy later on, if you have enough now and you want to see your children, often children is, is the most common, uh, be able to enjoy it while they're still kind of in those periods of time where they're helping their kids go to college or they're just needed a little bit more now than when they're older. You can gift $15,000 per year to any individual you want. If you're married, that means you you both can give 15 each, so 30,000. So we will see some some parents do that so they don't not so, but so they will not have to just leave it all later on. Yeah, the you know, the, this is a one that most people think, oh, it's not that big a deal, but it can be because if it's $15,000, what that does is it's it's money that you don't have to pay tax on first and foremost to, for gifting it. The reason the government doesn't want to gift you, a, have you gift a ton of money is people like to reduce their estate and all that jazz. But the reality is if you gift sooner and you have the money, if it's going to them anyways, you can experiencing them, you know, enjoying that money while you're alive. Right. And remember, I mean, you hit on a key point there. And just to clarify, neither party pays a tax on it. This 15000 that you're gifting is money you've already paid taxes on. So you're not going to get taxed on it when you give it away. And they're not going to get taxed on it. Yeah. And and furthermore, if you want to gift them that money and then kind of leave them with the tax liability because they're getting that money, just gift the appreciated security, just yeah, I mean, like you did with the country. You, you've, with got the a, you've got a, a client who, who does this, right? Yeah. She has three children. And each year she picks three different stocks to her children's liking and gifts 15,000 of those stocks. She doesn't sell them. She keeps them as is and, and contributes them over. But I have never seen a woman so excited to write write those uh, transfer checks, you know, over to them. So yeah, and you can do, you can gift appreciated securities, you can gift also cash. It, it works the same way. Just the one thing to keep in mind is if you're gifting investments like stocks, and there's gains in there, then you're then the person that's receiving it will also receive will receive it, they don't get a step up in cost basis, they're gonna have to pay the taxes later on. So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to this gifting thing. So you just want to make sure you know what you're doing when you do it. If not, then just, again, ask the expert. The second area of gifting to individuals is into 529 plans, college savings plans. This can be huge. And the reason I say that is because it can provide huge tax benefits for you who's gifting it and also when you pay for the college later on, but even at the year that you gift it. So I've got one child, you know, everyone probably knows by now, I took some of the uh, refinance money and, and contributed to that 529 just for one child. Ed, you've got three. I have three, yeah. In fact, uh, I, I utilize that each year in the state of Illinois. Every state is different. Some states 
allow you to gift money into a 529 plan and get a state tax deduction up to a certain amount. Illinois is one of the most attractive ones. Illinois allows you to gift up to $20,000 into a 529 plan. It has to be the 529 plan in the state of Illinois. It's called Bright Start or Bright Directions. There's two versions of it. But when I do give up to $20,000 any year, because my kids are in the heart of going to college and, and we have some saved up, but you know we're kind of you know supplementing it with the rest, I get a state tax deduction on that $20,000 contribution. And then I can use it for college either right away or in the next couple of few years while they're going. 4.95% is the state tax that I pay in the state of Illinois. And you multiply that by $20,000, that's $990. You know, that is a steak dinner right there. <laughs> that right? is that's, a steak that's, dinner. That's a steak dinner for the whole Edge team. Right I love there. it. I love it. I'm in. Yeah, Wait, except, when are we going? Yeah, except it's my deduction. It's not oh, your deduction. So uh, Okay. Okay. So that's one. And then there just an, there's another tidbit story you have, don't you, of someone here in our office that also can take advantage of the 529. Uh, new, it's a new, a new thing, right? New role. Yeah. So new change this year. 529 funds can be used to pay student loans. Remember that. 529 funds can be used to pay student loans. So if you're a parent and your child has student loans and there's still some money in a 529, take a look. We see that a lot, actually, right? I mean, we see you know parents who've put their kids through school and all of a sudden you see, oh, you know, you still have 500 bucks. You have a couple thousand. You know, you might not have. And... A lot of a lot of people don't pay for all of their kids' college. They sometimes will pay a certain amount per year, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar a year, and then their you know their child's going to need to go take a loan out. But if you're not going to use that in any way, shape, or form, that could be a nice little gift, nice little Christmas gift, right? Yeah. So our customer service associate and podcast producer Francesca, who is taping this as we speak, she had some student loans and took advantage of this rule. She took some of her 529 funds and paid off those student loans. No greater feeling. Those those really are all, we've thrown a lot at you, and there's a lot of different things, and some things are not going to apply to many of you at all, but there might be one or two that might save you, I don't know, like James, just $72, but $72 is $72, but sometimes it becomes hundreds of dollars and thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of dollars. You add that up in one year, and then you multiply it by how many ever years you do this in an appropriate way, and it becomes sizable, very sizable. If you can save a few thousand dollars a year, it's it's like adding to your investments. And it, it becomes, I, I'm not kidding you, I, I utilize this a lot, James. You've heard me say this when I work with people. You do these kind of things, you retire one or two years earlier. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it's huge. It, it is huge, and it is controllable. That is a something we get excited about here. It's controllable. Everyone, you know, we talk about the market. We want to make as much money as we can in the stock market. Most of that is uncontrollable. Right. This is controllable. This is money back in your pocket. Those little things count. It, the, the last thing to just kind of keep in mind is these. all of these things will help you if you're retired or and or you're collecting Social Security how you get taxed on it sometimes, it can keep it lower. How you get taxed on your Medicare, it can lower that sometimes. And if you have children that you're helping pay for school or they're looking for scholarships, it helps to kind of get a better situation when it comes to college scholarships. 
Yep. Uh, all about lowering that AGI. That's the goal with what we're talking about. Get that AGI down as Adjusted much as possible. Adjusted gross income. I know we keep using it, but just <laughs> so you remember what that means. Not everybody knows, but yep. So food for thought, Ed. I took your advice and I took a banana and I took an egg and I oh, swished it all together, put it in a pan, and my child was giddy. Was he? Yeah. He was giddy. <laughs> it was yeah. cool. It is. It's it's this interesting, like, it's it's a little sweet. And, I mean, it's healthy, you know, two good things. So I'm glad. And and he was very energetic, too, right after, because he had some <laughs> potassium. He had some protein. I don't think he got hurt that day, but he was running around quite a bit. Well, that's uncommon. Actually. I know <laughs> he's usually getting hurt, but... Well, that leads me into my food for thought when it comes to, I, I wasn't, you know, I have not been going out to dinner, like I think almost all of us, right? It's just not possible. And so I like to kind of flip-flop, sometimes restaurants, sometimes uh, recipe. But when I was thinking about this one today, uh, I just had made this recipe two days ago and it was unbelievable. So one of our very close friends, this couple, they used to live next door to us, the husband's Italian and the wife is not, but she came down with COVID about a week ago. Mm. And uh, so whenever people are in those situations, if I have the opportunity, it was the weekend. I love cooking, as we all know. And I said, hey, I'm going to make you guys a meal on uh, on Sunday. And so what I did was I made chicken Parmesan. I love chicken Parmesan. And my buddy, Robin, he loves it as well. And and I know that Jen, the one who has COVID, likes it as well. But so I made that, and it, it took a little while, but it was amazing. Everybody was raving about it. So I am going to post that recipe. I got it from allrecipes.com. I mean, Brian Jean Grego mentioned it, you know, his uh, steak, I think it was a marinade or something off of that last time. And for those of you who want to get recipes, if you can only go to one place to get a recipe, that place is by far the, the big kahuna when it comes to I thought to it was Ed Meek. Go to Ed Meek for the recipes. Well, I'll whittle it down and give, okay. give you the best recipes Even out of better. all of it. But, you know, if you don't have time to listen to every single podcast for the next 100 years and hear the best 100 recipes, then, you know, you can go to all recipes before then. So Good stuff. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Happy holidays. Be safe with your families. We'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays. I have been slapped on my hand one too many times by my compliance attorney. This is to put me in good standing. This podcast represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time, should not be relied upon as investment advice, and is not intended to predict or depict performance of any investment. Any specific recommendations or comparisons that are made as to particular securities or strategies are for illustrative purposes only and are not meant as investment advice for any viewer.